Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 29. And now, here's David. Let's bow before this awesome God and the one who which uh, we are called to be holy. We approach your presence today, Father, in humility and um, thankfulness. Thankful that we can be here together. Thankful that we can be your children. Thank you that we can approach you to that throne of grace made possible by our great high priest, the one who came and lived among us and gave his life for us and now who lives interceding for us. So help us in our uh, lives, Father, to become more aware of what you're telling us, what you're saying to us, that we would listen to your voice, that we would hear your word, that we would become holy and dedicated to you, and that our hearts might be changed by that refiner's fire. We do ask that the, these themes might just resonate in our thoughts this morning and help us to ponder them and to put them into action. We pray in our Lord's name. Amen. So our passage this morning is found in this 12th chapter of Hebrew and it's the last half of that chapter titled this this morning's uh, message hearing is knowing i want you to make a very very difficult choice you have you're going to lose one of your senses one of sight or one of hearing which one would you pick to lose and which one would you pick to keep <laughs> it's an impossible choice eh it's an impossible choice right how many would pick sight to keep to keep sight and how many would keep their hearing? Yeah, I think that's about... So most of the people keep sight and, and uh, choose not to hear. It's an interesting dilemma. And uh, when I when we were talking about this, at, uh, this is outside of this talk even a while ago, back in the hospital, of course, I work with a ear surgeon and I work with an eye surgeon. By the way, they're both very, very good surgeons. We're very blessed to have such competent... Uh, doctors that look after these two very vital senses for us. So Dr. Etche is our ear surgeon and, and we were asking the same question. And of course, he picked hearing to, to keep keep hearing. And that, this especially, but, but because I think what he's seen, he recognizes that hearing, although sight is so valuable to us and what we couldn't do without sight, when we lose hearing, we lose our ability to communicate between ourselves. And that makes us even more socially distanced than we are already. So, so people who have hearing de- deficits find that to be a really, real, really hard time. Now, sightlessness is no picnic either, and you all know people that have that problem, and we know many that are hearing impaired. But what a difficult choice! You wouldn't want to make that choice. Never, never make that choice. But, but I was thinking about that. Um, in, a, in, respond, in a view of our passage this morning, and there is a proverbial saying that seeing is believing. And I think we could all relate to that. But I think there's another uh, addition to that 
proverb that you could add, but hearing is knowing. And I think we'll just uh, see the uh, the relationship between that. The hearing is that vital aspect of communication, and, and therefore it's, an, it's essential for maintaining a relationship. And without communication, it's impossible to get to know someone. The author of Hebrews would seem to agree that with our ear surgeon, um, I don't think Dr. Etche had any part in writing the book of Hebrews, though. So, but in that, while seeing God is important and is a really a big part of uh, the experience, it's hearing that's vital to our spiritual lives and our relationship to God. And I'm just going to read a few verses that we've already studied out of the book of Hebrews to just give us a flavor for that. So the very first verse of the book of Hebrews says, "In the past, God spoke." to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Note the emphasis on speech, which requires hearing. The second chapter, the very first verse of that chapter, we must pay more, the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Again, hearing is emphasized. Here's a collection of verses from chapter 3 and 4. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, Don't harden your hearts. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Three times the repetition of those uh, quoted. I think it's trying to tell us something about (laughs) what we need to do and what we need not to do, which is to harden our hearts. But we need to have attentive ears. Now we move over to chapter 5 and we found out that there's a problem with the Hebrew Christians. And about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You don't perceive this communication What You are not able to, to understand what we're trying to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had to be corrected on that. So a bunch of warnings in the book of Hebrews and we've just read some of them. But we come to chapter 12 in which you could say the writer gives us our final warning. <laughs> that sounds pretty dramatic. But it's the last really warning of the of the book, I think. And it's found in chapter 12, verse 25. Here I'm reading from the message, which is always a good way to, to uh, tune into various pictures. So don't turn a deaf ear. Back to the hearing. To these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? So that's in our passage this morning, this verse that we're reading about today. I think you'll agree that the writer of Hebrews has placed a lot of emphasis on hearing the message that God is communicating to us. I was reading a a few ideas about the theme of Hebrews and I found one writer who said the theme of Hebrews is Jesus. 
And you gotta say that that's pretty much it, really, from the start to the beginning and to the end. He's uh, discussing Jesus in his uh, big part of it is his role as a high priest. But it's Jesus from start to finish. Another observed that Jesus is everything God wanted to say to us. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus is everything God wanted to say to us. So, Embodied in Jesus is the whole message that we need to hear. And the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus. Therefore, the message of Hebrews is what God wants us to hear. And that's the message of Jesus. To hear God, then, is to hear Jesus, to know him, to connect to him, to build that relationship that comes through communication. This connection with Jesus doesn't just happen. It takes a degree of effort takes quite a lot of effort. As a matter of fact, it's a lifelong commitment to listening, to listening to Jesus. Making the effort to hear Jesus will result in a transformed life. Transformed from futility and destruction to purpose and security. You know, there's just so many transformations and uh, we were thinking about Ephesians chapter 1 this morning in our communion service and how we have moved and where we now stand. And it's just amazing to think about the transformation that Jesus wants to work in our lives. So, last week we started in chapter 12 and going back just to review a little bit of what Kerry covered so well last week is that Chapter 12 speaks of making an effort to achieving a personal best. And it gives us some ideas how uh, or what will be involved in that effort. The metaphor that's used is, of course, a sporting event. That word uh, race is is the idea of a, a collection of people coming together for a sporting event. And that's sort of the, the word in the original language. And the emphasis is not so much on a competition, but an endurance test and, and, and a personal best, a, a goal of finishing and doing your best in the, in the process. And how are you doing is the, is the emphasis. The word run in verse 1, uh, and let us run with purpose, perseverance, the race marked out for us, has, also has the meaning in, uh, in the original language, which is kind of interesting, of making an effort to advance spiritually. So it could be run, move from place to place, but it also means to make an effort to advance yourself. What are those efforts that are required to participate in this in this sporting event, this uh, this challenge? Last week, Kerry reminded us uh, very well that the training and discipline are one of the things that are required, and we went over those verses about how that is part of uh, of. of progression and, and advancing in our lives. So in, in our verses today, picking up from that thought, just how do they connect with that? And I think the next few verses talk a bit about a few other things that we need to do or can do to put on and put the effort into into this into this race to this into this uh, athletic event. So here's the verses 12 to 14, <coughs> excuse me, in our passage today. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. 
for without it no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through him many become defiled. And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. So in that uh, few verses, I found five different requirements or conditions to advancing our spiritual lives. The first one would be to resolve conflicts, to be a peacemaker. We're not to, it's not a competitive race. We're not in it to step on anybody else or to put them down. We're in it together and we should be all pulling in the same direction. So if anything rubs us the wrong way, we need to fix that. Not to ignore it, but to fix it and then move on and not, not to become caught up in conflict, but to become a peacemaker. Conflicts will just distract us and divert our efforts into non-productive and destructive activities. The next I said to be dedicated. We are told to be holy. And that's a big thing to try to be in our own effort. We can't really make it. We are positionally holy in Christ, but to live holy. So that's a little bit of a struggle because it says without holiness we won't see the Lord. But... If you think about what holy means, and we sang about it a little bit there, to be dedicated, to be consecrated. It's something that we we say we are in this to reach the goal. That's our dedication. The goal is what we are here for. And we're dedicated to that. And we're, in a sense, then becoming holy or put aside to do that, what we want to do. Our goal is really to become like Jesus, who you could think of as our trainer in this event, our coach. And a good coach has the respect of his players. They see him as a him or her as a model to which they aspire. They are committed to pleasing their coach and intent on carrying out their instructions. As they do that, the coach then shows them more of what they need to do and more of himself and he's revealed and thus they make progress in getting to know him so that dedication to be like Jesus that is our goal and our path to holiness I think so then make the required effort and it says don't lag behind don't miss out on the chance of God's grace and this is a tough one for me it's like uh, I'd rather enjoy a life of ease rather than a life of effort you know like really I just read it's just hard work and work is that four letter word that keeps coming up in our lives you know like but it says don't be lazy don't lag behind and in a sense this is why a relationship with the coach is so important if you're if your value if there's a value on that relationship you'll try and please your coach you're not going you're going to put the effort in to get to where you need to be just so that you can have the the experience of seeing their coach happy with what you've been able to learn and accomplish. And I, I think having Jesus as our coach and trying to work to make him pleased with our performance is, 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 gives us a boost to put in the effort that we need to do. The other one is another hard one. Do the weeding. I leave this up to Vicky in our garden. Uh, it's a... Uh, 
She's always out there taking the weeds out of the flower bed. And wouldn't it be great if gardens just looked after themselves? I mean, it wouldn't have to. They would just be beautiful. They would produce fruit and vegetables. And we'd just sit back. And But they need a lot of work. And weeding is, is one of those things. And bitterness is, is referred to here as, as a weed that springs up. And how quickly it grows. It seems, you know, all the weeds, how, how they grow better than the, than the plants you want to grow there? Like, why do we call them weeds? Why don't we just... Anyway... The uh, bitterness has this way of growing quickly and taking over, and it's, it just chokes out the nutrients that are needed for the rest of the growth. But it comes from comparing ourselves with those we're, we're in the competition with, right? Like, oh, he got something I didn't. I'm, I wish I deserved that, and he didn't deserve that. And what it is is focusing not on the, the goal or on our Savior, but on the others around us. And that's where bitterness comes. So keep our focus and our attention on the Lord and and uh, and weed out that bitterness that comes and it's, it's such a uh, destructive thing. And the other thing is to participate with integrity. Um, we're told not to be immoral. Uh, don't cheat in this competition, in this, not a competition, in this event. Don't look for the shortcuts. You know, I've heard the people who've done well in marathons have have found a way to go shortcut and take a different road and come to the finish line. Wow, they're all refreshed and really, really running around, but they, they didn't uh, didn't really run the race. They took the easy way out. Esau did that. He he came in. He was starving, and he and he said, "I need food." And uh, boy, there's food right there. Just give me food, and and I'll be the easy way. I don't want to go and work for my food. I don't want to do that. Just Jacob, you just give me the food. And Jacob takes advantage of him. And of course, Esau said, "Well." I don't want that rights and responsibility of being the firstborn anyway, you know, like it's all yours and I'll just take the easy way out. So don't be like that. Participate with integrity. Don't cheat. All right. So a crucial determinant of our performance is our relationship with our trainer or coach. Now, how do you see your coach? Do you see your coach like a drill sergeant, someone who yells in your face, demands your obedience, and if not, you're going to get it, you know, like you're in a fear of punishment? Or do we have more of a mentor-friendship relationship with our coach, and we want to please that person, and we look up to them, and we want to emulate them, and who can direct us, not with shouts of anger, but with shouts of encouragement, and a quietly voiced instruction, or even the smile on his face? To fail him would be our loss. And as we note, his disappointment is not, in, is, is not in achieving all that we could. I think these contrasting relationships are illustrated in the next verses of our passage. Here we see the contrast between the Israelites' experience of God following their uh, departure from Egypt and the experience of the Hebrew Christians to whom the author is writing when they committed themselves to following Jesus. For you have not come to something that can be touched, to a burning fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and the blast of a trumpet and a voice uttering such that those who heard begged to hear no more, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. In fact, the scene was so terrifying that Moses said, I shudder with fear. So that's the perception that the Israelites had when they saw God they, and they heard God, but they said, stop speaking to me. You know, don't, I can't take the, 
you know, can't take sound. So they blocked their ears. They didn't hear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the assembly and congregation of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than Abel's does. The contrast between these two experiences are really striking. Eh? The Mount Sinai and the Mount Zion experiences. They, they, uh, are they the same God? <laughs> you know, is it, you know, is that the same God speaking in both cases or the, the message coming from both? And why such different encounters? Why the different revelation of his, of his character? Our God has different ways of expressing himself and and we get to see glimpses of him in each experience we have. But, you know, I was thinking about Elijah's experience and, you know, Elijah had this great contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and and he called on the Lord to to consume the offering and the fire fell from the heavens and burnt up the offering and the stones on the altar and the and the water around the altar. I hear that Ryan has a good uh, story about this. Uh, 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 maybe you want to do that for SSN someday in the church here, Ryan. If you, or maybe you don't want to tell your children about that story. <laughs> that is a, it's an old camp story, right, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, good story. But but that amazing demonstration of God's presence was followed by Elijah on the run to to again to Mount Sinai to Mount Horeb the same mountain that Moses and the Israelites were at. And there God uh, uh, said to him, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. A very powerful wind went before the Lord, digging into the mountain and causing landslides, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the windstorm, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his robe and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. All of a sudden, a voice asked him, why are you here, Elijah? So again, the visual aspects of God were there, but it was the whispering voice that was the power in Elijah's life here. From this story, we see that God chooses different ways of revealing his character. In Elijah's experience, God was not revealed in these visual demonstrations of his action, but in the auditory perception of a quiet voice. Elijah had to listen intently to hear God's message. Well, on the one hand, the Sinai experience must have been awesome. We, we, we sang or we heard sung awesome God. Those are tremendous pictures of, you know, God's working in our world. And that Sinai experience kind of would like to have been there, you know, like, wow, we could see that shaking mountain, that darkness, gloom, fire, and and the voice of the trumpet. Oh, that'd be awesome. And indeed it would. And I must confess that at times I've, I've wondered why, if God wants us to hear his message, why doesn't he just announce it in the sky, like in, like, 
big skywriting letters, but uh, and more clear than that, or, or put on some demonstrations for us of his power and his might and his awesomeness. And then surely they wouldn't have these debates with atheists about whether God even exists or not. Everybody would know. And we wouldn't have that, you know. Why doesn't God do that for us? Well, thinking about that over the years, and maybe there's no answer that I can really say why God doesn't do anything. I don't know why God, but one of the things that comes to my mind is that it doesn't work. <laughs> well, you say, how can it not work? Well, look at these people of Israel. They, they were impressed, but they didn't want to hear him. And they even begged him to stop shouting at them. And after just a very short time, they went off and made their own God again. So, like, how much did this impact their lives? It didn't really do what you'd think it would do. Like, if you saw a shaking mountain blowing up and God speaking from it, wouldn't you change your ways? <laughs> The Israelites didn't. They they went right back. So that's one reason, maybe. The other reason is that I don't think God wants to force anyone into believing. You know, like if he put on such a display of strength and power and he made you, then what's the point of that? God rather would want us to choose to follow him out of our out of a love for him based on trust and that relationship. He doesn't want to make us force, force us into following him. He wants children, not slaves. And maybe another reason, and maybe this is the best one of all, is that he's already revealed himself in a way that's much superior to the way that he revealed himself in Sinai. He sent Jesus, and Jesus lived among us and gave his life for us. And Jesus is God's message for us to the and God's message to the world. He even said it in uh, in that time when Jesus was transfigured and took on his glory. And out of that glorious cloud, there came a voice saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And uh, listen to him. So in this revelation of God, it's it's superior. And that's, I think, what Hebrews again is telling us, that this other revelation of God that we have when we come to Christ is so much superior to the one that the, that the people had in Mount Sinai. So we've got the best already. So in this account where we read about the people coming to Mount Zion, in this account they had a more intangible, immaterial sort of experience of God than the Israelites did at Sinai. You could almost say it was kind of a mystical experience because it, it's not got something you can touch and feel, but it's something that was real, no less, inside their hearts. And this experience, and I think what it's telling us is that that whole vision of of angels and, and the people who are righteous and God the judge and uh, all of that picture of of uh, of that is is really summed up in Jesus, and we see that, and we've sang about that too. In the around the glass, you see the 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 people are throwing down their crowns. The seraphim and the cherubim are bowing down. This is the encounter that we have with Jesus, and that the Hebrews had, and this sort of sums up what what it is to to meet and to know Jesus. Jesus himself is the message that they heard. It included the message of his love that expressed in his sacrifice as noted by that blood that is also present in our encounter and our experience with God. 
I, su- I would also suggest that this is not just a one-time experience like in Mount Sinai, but this is an ongoing experience that, that, is, that is possible throughout our, our lives. It is the basis for our relationship in which God, with God in which he can be heard to speak as Jesus. So take care not to refuse the one who is speaking, Hebrews says. To hear him is to connect with him. To know him. He wants to be our personal trainer, life coach. He wants us to achieve achieve our personal best in life. I think we've shown this movie here. Is is that right? The Overcomer. It's one of those movies, if you haven't seen it, it's well worth the watch. Um, It's a story, I won't give away the whole story, but in this story, this girl is a a runner and she's trying to overcome her deficiencies and learn to race and uh, she ends up in a race and and she gets to wear a headphone or earbuds and they don't tell her what's in them but they say just turn it on when you start the race and she turns it on and it happens to be the voice of her father who she's never really known but it's the voice of her father coaching her through the race and I can't even get that the the, the same sort of idea as Jesus wants to run alongside us in our in our event. He wants to tell us in our ears and what he wants us to do. Run up this hill. Take it easy here but but save your strength and now really go for it. And and that sort of coaching that he wants to do day by day and moment by moment. He wants us to achieve our personal best, which I don't think we can even really imagine how our personal best is at this time, but he knows. So what would a personal best look like? I think it's hard to see just how much our lives might change if we listened to our coach with the same kind of commitment that he desires. I do know that a lot that we see that's important and, and you know our usual signs of success in life would not be in the picture at all. I think that much of what we have would fade away as we listen to him. It would become less important. It would have not so much value as we put it, as we think it does. We, we sometimes sing the, that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Although the metaphors cite in that hymn, I think hearing Jesus would have the same or even more profound effect the sounds and clamor of our transient home would fade away as we concentrated on listening to his voice. The passage we are reading today says that his voice, uh, which shook Mount Sinai, will shake all of creation and only his kingdom will be left unshaken. These other things would fade away and only things that are are eternal would last. Let's read some more of these verses. Take care not to refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not refuse, if, for if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less shall we if we reject the one who warns us from heaven? Then his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven too. Now this phrase once more indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is of created things, so that what is unshaken may remain. His voice is the agent of transformation, removing that which is shakable or transient and leaving what is eternal. 
That is his unshakable kingdom. And when we think about the message of Hebrews, it is our place of rest, our place of security, our place of stability, of being unshakable. We're at rest when we are in that kingdom. To put our efforts into seeing that kingdom come should be our life's ambition. That would be a good description of achieving our best. To, to put our efforts into seeing that kingdom come. So how should we respond to such an experience of Jesus that we've had, that these Hebrews uh, had that was described to them? So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks. And through this, let us offer worship pleasing to God in devotion and awe. For our God is indeed a devouring fire. The writer clearly tells us that the response to Jesus is worship. Now, worship is much more than singing or thinking about singing some songs on Sunday morning. It is a demonstration of our devotion and reverence for him. To worship is to serve, to make the effort to do our personal best for him. It is a commitment to change into his likeness. I really like this quote that I found from a man I don't know. Brian Whitfield is his name. But he put it this way. To worship is to encounter God, to hear God's voice, to be transformed. True worship does not leave us as we are. That's worth probably reading again. True worship is to encounter God, to hear God's voice, to be transformed. True worship does not leave us as we are. So in our acts of worship, we are coming to hear God, not just to sing praises. That's part of what we do. But we also come to listen. We come to hear. We come to be changed by our worship. We want to serve you, Lord. What can we do? How do we change? What should we, how should we go and we're hoping and expecting and praying for our Christ's word in our ear. Hearing Jesus is knowing Jesus. By coming to know Jesus, we will experience his transforming fire as we are changed into his likeness. Vicky's going to lead us singing in our closing hymn. And I would say that this will be our closing prayer. So, Vicki, you have the opportunity to close in prayer with all of us thinking along. <laughs> and Steve, thanks for this. You picked this song out, but it just fits so well with the thoughts. Maybe I took some of it from this, but it, it just seemed to fit so well. So thank you for picking this song.
Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.